It was 1991, and I was on a missions trip that included both Moscow, Russia, and Kiev, Ukraine. I was in college at the time and privileged to be a part of such a trip, and, and there's different images that flash through my mind of meeting wonderful Christians in both of those countries, but more than that, a lot of people that were desperate for God. And one of the images that has stuck with me as I've uh, been watching the world news this week was an image of worshiping with a Ukrainian church in Kiev, and we were on the third floor of a very communist-looking block building, but on this third floor, one side was almost all windows. And the way we were positioned as the congregation, we were looking out those windows and the pastor was on a small stage facing us with the great outdoors behind him. And what was so striking was right over his left shoulder, you could see a statue that was outside in the little courtyard that was staring right in, right at us over his shoulder. And the statue was of Lenin. It was quite a church service to be staring into those evil eyes, right? Now that statue's long since gone as Ukrainians won their freedom. But that's just been in my head this week. And then secondly, it was about six years ago that I first got invited uh, to preach across uh, Canada, our neighbors to the north as part of Promise Keepers. In places like Ottawa and Toronto, Regina, Edmonton, we were all over the place. And I met a bunch of Canadian men. And at the forefront, this was six years ago, of their minds was how they felt like more and more their government was infringing upon their religious freedoms. And so those two thoughts have been in my mind as I watch news about what's going on north of the border. And it feels like they've lost their minds up there. And then last but not least, I'm struck by, of course, God's word. And I wanted to just begin this week, and this is for all of us here in Buckley and those in Manistee listening or watching wherever you are. If I would draw your attention to 1 Timothy in chapter 2, God's word says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who were in high positions. I assume that that means presidents, governors, prime ministers. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So church, before we jump in with the message this week, I felt like it would be a good idea for us to obey God's word and let's go to him in prayer and praying the way that he commanded us to. Does that seem good to you? Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father God, I praise you for who you are, for what you've done. God, I thank you that you are powerful, you are sovereign, you are mighty, you are good. You are just and you are merciful. God, that you are love. God, as your word is commanded, we come before you today as a church, and I speak and pray on behalf of our church. God, we pray for peace in the Ukraine. 
Specifically, God, I pay for peace and freedom in the Ukraine. Lord, we pray for the church in Russia and in Ukraine that you would encourage our brothers and sisters. God, I pray for the leaders by name, Lord. We pray for President Putin that you would give him a measure of sanity, that he would put his sword down. God, I pray for President Zelensky trying to lead his people in this defense. God, I pray that you'll strengthen him and all of his leadership. God, for the many refugees right now, for the men and women who have taken to the defense of their country fighting in the streets, would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? Would you protect them? God, I pray for our neighbors to the north. Lord, that cooler heads would prevail, that religious freedom would exist there, would continue there, would not be infringed upon. God, I pray for our president, Joe Biden. We pray for his health. We pray for his family. God, I pray that you would bless him, that you would give him wisdom, that we would be citizens that submit first to you and submit unto earthly authority as long as it does not infringe upon our ability to worship you. And so God, we pray for our leaders that somehow, someway, there would be peace so we could live quiet and godly lives. God, I pray that you would help us to be men and women that pray first and throw stones second. God, I ask all of this by the name and the power of your son, Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you uh, to turn to the gospel of Luke. This is our series. We'll be here up until Easter and even a week or so after. And uh, today we look at Luke chapter 15, probably the most familiar story that Jesus ever told. Now, I don't know about you, but in my household, we like to uh, uh, watch or read good stories over and over. I've read a good book more than once. You set it down for a couple years, you read it a second time, and, and then you're like, oh, there's some stuff in that book that I didn't catch the first time around. First time around, I was just in a hurry to get done with it. Now, maybe you're different. You know, there's some weirdos who, who think they can only watch Red Dawn, the original, once. I don't know what's wrong with you, because that came out when I was about 15 years old, and that wasn't fiction. That was, that was the plan, right? And, and man, I watch that over and over and show it to my kids, the whole deal. So, you know, sometimes you watch a movie, and the second time, you catch something that maybe you didn't catch the first time. Are you with me or no? That's why it's a good book or a good movie is worth recommending. Well, with this story that, that, that Jesus told, we've, we've touched on this story quite often because it's this beautiful picture of God the Father and his relationship to us. It's a parable, and it's the third of three parables in chapter 15 that all deal with lost things. And that context is important. The first parable that Jesus told was about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. And this is the famous left the 99 to go find the one. And the point of that story was he said, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that returns to God than 99 righteous people that don't need it. Now, if Jesus told it and there's no waste of words in scripture, I got to believe that's true. God is fired up about retrieving lost people and lost things and bringing them back to himself. The second parable in Luke 15 was the story of a woman who, who had 10 silver coins and she lost one of her coins. 
And she searched the whole house, turned the place inside out. Have you ever seen your mom or your wife on a tirade like that where they turn a house inside out? It's okay to say, yeah, I've seen them do it. And when she found the silver coin, she rejoiced. And it was such a big deal. She called her neighbors and said, come rejoice with me. I had 10 coins, lost one, and I found it. And Jesus said, so it is that all of heaven rejoices over one that comes back. And then the third story, the familiar story, is the one we're going to focus on today. And the danger is, I've heard this story before. I know what I think about it. But I'm hoping, I'm praying that maybe God would show us something new. And so in doing that, I'd I'd like us in this reading of this story to focus on the father, the father in the story, because I think that's the point that Jesus is driving at. I don't think the story is about us. It's about the father and his heart for you and me. So starting in uh, verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, Uh, here's how the story reads. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But the story is not over. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me 
and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. And this is the story that Jesus told. Now, the church that I grew up in, and maybe if, if you grew up in church or around the Bible, you've heard this story referred to as the story of the prodigal son. Unfortunately, that's not the name of the story. Jesus told the story. It was his story. He's got the copyright, and he began the story this way. There once was a man with two sons. Is everybody with me? That's critical. Because we always focus on the wild and crazy prodigal, which by the way, prodigal doesn't even appear in the text. And if you've been around for a while, you've heard when we tell this story, I I highly commend a book to you if you've never read it. It's called A Prodigal God, The Prodigal God. It's by a man named Keller. And it's the best treatment of this parable that I've heard. And and it's worth the read. It's worth the book. It, It wrecked me. It wrecked Pastor Tim. It'll wreck you. If you need wrecked, get the book. I won't be offended if right now on your phone, you buy it on Amazon. Just don't start playing Wordle. Come back here, okay? (laughs) Once was a man with two sons. So it's about both of the sons, but it's really about the man. And it's a story of lost things. And we know the story because, you know, it's all dramatic when the younger son comes to his father and virtually by, by, by asking for half of his inheritance early, he's saying, I can't wait until you're dead. He's spitting in his father's face. And what's crazy about the story is the father says, okay, how much love, how much respect does he have for the choices of the younger son by saying, okay, I'll divide my inheritance now. And in that culture, the older would probably get 51. The younger would get 49. Here's your roughly half of the inheritance. Shortly after that, he goes to a far off country and it says he squanders all of it on reckless living. He spends all his money. He loses it all. Then the trouble doubles down because there's a famine in the land and now he's got no money. Now he's hungry. He's starving. He has to hire himself out. And he finds a job, the son of a nobleman, we presume, with a lot of money. He's wasted it all. Now all his friends are gone, right? All the reckless wild parties are done and now he's alone and he has a job of feeding the pigs, an unclean animal to the Jews. And he's so hungry, he's longing to eat what the pigs are eating. This guy's hit rock bottom. Make sense so far? Some of us have been there. Some of us have been to rock bottom financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, Some of us haven't hit rock bottom yet. We still think we can just do it on our own. We don't need anybody. We got this. We can handle it. It's not an addiction. It's a habit. I'll do better. I made some resolutions that I already forgot about. This guy's at rock bottom. There's that great verse, verse 17. When he came to himself. Some translation says, when he came to his senses. You ever talk to a drunk person? Can't argue with a drunk person. I've been in situations before uh, where there was somebody, it was like at a wedding reception or a family deal or somewhere where there's a drunk guy that all of a sudden I hear this voice, hey preacher, I got some questions about God. 
Those never go real far, right? Now I want to talk to you about St. Paul and the dinosaurs. And you're like, oh man, why don't you come on a weekend? You know where I am. It says he came to himself. Finally, I think he remembered what his father was like. You see, we can look at that son and say, what an idiot, but we've done the same thing. In fact, as you go through the story, you can probably see yourself in every one of the situations. I've been the younger son. I've been the older son. By God's grace, I haven't been that father yet that's had to face what the father faced, but we can find ourselves usually in all parts of the story. But he grew up in that house and I think he knew a little bit of what his father's heart was about because it says he came to himself. He says, you know what? My father treats his servants better than I'm being treated right now. At least they have food to eat. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna beg his mercy. I'm gonna say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. That's God. And I've sinned against you. Would you just take me back? I think he was holding on to a glimmer of hope that his father would hire him and at least he wouldn't starve. So that's what he does. He rises and he goes home. And these, these beautiful, familiar words to many of us, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That's love. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. In that culture and in that day and age, grown men didn't run. That was undignified. I would say in 2022, it's undignified for grown men to run. Have you seen yourself running? You don't look as cool as you think you do, right? But in those days, it's because they wore these long robes and to run, you'd have to gird up your robe. You'd have to pull it up high. So then you see those skinny old man legs running. It was undignified. They didn't do it. It was beneath them to do it. But this father was looking for him. And when he saw him, his heart was filled with love. And he didn't wait for him to get all the way home. He ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. Do you know who the father is in the story? The father is God, the father. And you know who the long lost younger son is? Me and you. And if we're going to get something new from the movie we've seen or heard a hundred or a thousand times, for me, what struck me this week is that God's love is incomprehensible. His love, you can never fully understand. You can never fully comprehend. You can accept, you can receive, but you'll never get it. I'm 51 years old. I'm more than halfway home. I still don't get it. You could talk to the oldest in the rooms, the youngest, none of us fully comprehend it. But I'm going to tell you something. If there's the truest thing that comes out of my mouth today is this, God's love is incomprehensible. And that love is love for you. Everyone at the Buckley campus, everyone in Manistee, people that haven't come back from pandemic yet that are watching online or, or work or something else made you stay home. God's love for you is incomprehensible. But here's a picture. Here's a little picture. Can you imagine? You know, I don't know what images are going through your mind. I don't know what kind of daddy you had or stepdaddy or no daddy. But can you imagine a father after you had done that where you virtually said, dad, you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. I'm out of here. And then you wasted it. Then you're with the pig pens. And as you're coming home, he ran to you. 
He embraced you. He put kisses all over your face. Man, I know fathers that won't loan their son their truck to go to prom in. They might scratch it. And this son has wasted half of everything his dad's worked so hard for. You know, we look at the love of this father and we say, man, what a codependent. Man, you know, this, this kid needs some tough love is what he needs. At least make him, you know, sleep in the barn you know, for a couple nights. Take a shower. Guess what? That's the way man loves. And I had about the greatest human father you could ever have. But that's not the way God the Father loves. You feel this yet? Guys, I got two more points. I might not make it there. We might just stay here. God's love is incomprehensible. And there's more. You know, the son tries to get out this confession. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven, and I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son. And I, I just imagine him going and say, oh, hogwash. I'll be the judge of that. Oh, we're going to stay here. Sorry, got to stay here. There are earthly fathers that haven't spoken to their children in years over the stupidest, most petty things. And they will go to their graves. They will go to their graves because of their sinful pride. That's not the love of God the Father. That is not the love of God the Father. God's love for you, God's love for me is incomprehensible. But you don't know what I've done. <laughs> Jesus left out the gory details of what the younger son had done. He ran to him, he kissed him, he embraced him. He says, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, Let's have a party. The fattened calf, we were saving it for Christmas. Right now, we're going to dance. We're going to celebrate. Because my son, it was like he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. That's God's celebrating over you. And we hang on to our mistakes, and we hang on to our failures, and we hang on to all this stuff, and, and we compare the way we love or the fact that we haven't received love with him, and that's not fair. You do not get to recreate God in our image. Jesus' story, he's saying this is the incomprehensible love of God towards you. This is radical, and it's pouring out like a waterfall that won't end, like Niagara Falls on your head. I was talking to Pastor Tim last night. World, words completely failed me to describe this. And I'm a guy that knows one or two things about words and talking. I need a new language. And remember, it's about two sons. So we get to the second son. He comes in from the field and, um, hey, what's going on? There's a big party. Your younger brother's home. There's food. There's dancing. It's a big deal. Your father's super fired up. Come on in. And he refuses. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The older son was just as lost as the younger son. 
You can call yourself a Christian. You can go to church every week, be involved in all the ministries. You can serve, you can tithe, you can read the Bible, know a ton of verses and be just as lost as the one that at least had the guts to do it out in public. Some of our sin is in the open and everyone sees it and gossips about it. Oh, did you hear what he did? And what about little that, you know? And some of our sin is masked right here in plain sight. He was lost. Listen to the words of what he said. How many years have I slaved for you? And you never even once gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. That's a lie. That's a complete lie. His father had given him everything. This is the father that gave the younger son half the inheritance before he was dead. Then he says, this son of yours. You just hear the seething resentment in his voice. This son of yours. It reminds me of the garden. That woman that you gave me, God, I'm blaming. This son of yours. Oh, and then he has to embellish his sin. He's wasted his money on prostitutes. Because that's what we do in church, right? We may not be out there like, like, like doing all the stuff publicly, but we talk about those people and we add to it to make us feel better about our own selves. Sorry, that was a rant. But it's true. So, yeah, how do you like them apples? Look at the father's heart towards the older son. He said, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. He's trying to reason with his son. He, he's offended his father by not coming into the party. We've covered this before. In that culture, to have the, make the father come outside to try to convince you to come in, that was a huge slap in the face. The older son is just as lost as the younger son. He's treating the father the same way, not for the love relationship I can have with him, but what can I get from him? The younger son demanded it and he went, spent it on reckless, wild sinning. You know what the older son did? I'm going to get what I want through obedience and through my performance. It's based on pride. Look how religious I look. Look how obedient I look. You say, well, I've never been that way. Have you ever wondered out loud or to yourself, God, I've done all this for you. Why is this happening to me? Congratulations. Same attitude as the older son, who at best treats God like a divine vending machine. Put in my good behavior, he gives me my blessing. Right? At worst, treats God like a prostitute. It's the same thing. This is what I give you. Now you owe me something. I've been both sons. And now full of resentment, he refuses to go into the party. Now I know Jesus is telling the story and there's Pharisees and religious scribes that he's really aiming this at. He's essentially saying, listen, why are you so sad? Because sinners are, 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 are coming home. You're just as lost. Why don't you come in and celebrate? Be a part of the party. And they won't. But I think he's pointing something out to all of us. And, and I see it in the older son's attitude. And that's this. And don't miss this one either. Because not only is God's love incomprehensible, God's grace 
isn't fair. God's grace isn't fair. Justice is when I get what I deserve. And we tend to want justice for others, but not for ourselves. We want others to get what they deserve, but I don't want me to get what I deserve. What I want from God is mercy. And mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. Anyone want a little mercy this morning? Man, is you with me? We'd all like mercy, right? Because I know what I've done and I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. But grace is different than both. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. God's love, his adoption, his blessing, his forgiveness, his embrace, his kiss, his ring, his robe, his shoes. I'm going to tell you something. God's grace isn't fair. And if you want it to be fair, it's not grace. We want grace for us. We don't want grace for her. We want grace for us. We don't want it for them. But that's not how grace works. God did not send Jesus to earth to give grace to those of us who earn it because you can't earn it. Am I stating the obvious here? The older son wanted grace to be fair, and it's not. I'm going to tell you the truth. From a human perspective, God's grace is downright scandalous. It is a scandal who he lets receive his grace. It is, I mean, to us, not to him. I'm not calling God's character into question. I'm saying the people God forgives should be spending 30 to life in eternity, right? But no, God's grace isn't fair. And aren't you glad? It's not fair. There's not just this much grace and don't use it up. God's grace is unlimited. It keeps going and going and going. You see, that was part of the older son thing. The older son is thinking, okay, there's 100% of what my dad had, 51% is mine, and 49% has been wasted. So now, now the son's back. Now are we just gonna have it again? I'm only gonna get 26%? You see, that's the difference between our wealth and God's grace. His grace doesn't run out. So the father says, all I have is yours. All of, all of my stuff is yours. You, you're, you're always with me. And I wonder if somewhere the father was saying, isn't that enough that you're with me? Some of us come to God only for what he'll give us. And we're just like the older brother. Have you ever tried to make a deal with God? Yeah, that's older brother thinking. That's lost thinking. What deal are you going to make with God? God, if you just give me this one thing, I promise. Da, 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 da. No, you won't. He's a God that keeps promises. We don't. God, if you just get me out of this jam, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm not trying to put that down. I've done it. I've done it. You don't make deals with God. He's a for real God. And his grace is given freely. And it's not fair. It's not fair. The older son was all about his performance. What he could earn. God, I've done this. Now you owe me. God doesn't owe anyone. In fact, if God never does another good thing for any of us, 
from here to the end of time, he's already done way more than we deserve. But how is this so? And I'll close with this. Where's the justice in this story? I see the love. I see mercy. I see grace towards both sons because both sons are both lost that both should be slapped, I feel like. I mean, human terms. But where's the justice? How is this possible? How is this possible and not have this dad be a bad dad? One that just kind of gives his kids whatever he wants. Sure, it's a school night. Drink all the candy and Mountain Dew that you want. Stay up to three o'clock in the morning. Ah, don't even go to, I mean, right? Where's the justice? I was thinking about that this week and then it hit me. Here's the justice. Here's the justice. How is this possible? The reason it's possible because of who is telling the story. He's the the linchpin. Jesus makes it possible for this incomprehensible love to be lavished, embraced, and kissed all over you and me. Jesus makes it possible that grace isn't fair and that it's given to younger sons and older sons and younger daughters and older daughters. Jesus makes it possible. How? On a cross. On a cross. That's where God's love and God's justice collided. And that's where grace poured out and was born. You see, something had to pay. Something had to bleed. Something had to take suffering and something had to die in order for the father to be able to welcome the younger son back. Something had to pay for the older son's pride and arrogance. He hadn't come to the end of himself either. At least the younger son had hit rock bottom. The older son wasn't tired of being religious yet. The older son wasn't tired of being, you know, the, the look good on the outside, but on the inside, not a fun person to be around. There are some of us that I don't see the overt sin, but Tim and I were talking about this again last night. Some of us have an aura about us that you know deep inside there's not that genuine love relationship with God the Father. And this person is never, ever, ever, ever gonna change. Unless someone takes a two by four to him. In love. They're never gonna work on the marriage. They're They're still trying to bring the fair fairy into the marriage. Wanting God's grace to not be fair towards them, but refusing to give grace to him or refusing to give grace to her. I'm going to go overtime here, but why not? Why is it that we think that God's grace should be fair towards others, but we can't give that same grace to our spouse? Why don't we want to show that grace to people who've hurt us? Because we're older brothers. We're older brothers. God's word says in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Which by the way, can I just say something? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just really fired up about the incomprehensible love of God. 
I want you to get it. Even though we can't fully get it. 1 John 3 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. How much does he love you? When you were a wicked younger son recklessly spending every blessing he's ever given you and wasting it, he welcomed you back and called you his child. That's how much he loves you. It says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. We're not there yet. Because it says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. You're not the finished article. Your performance isn't as good as you think it is. You haven't earned any of his grace. You never will. That's a false gospel. Don't believe it. So what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It's at that moment that you won't be a younger son anymore. You won't be an older son anymore. You'll just be a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus that makes it possible. Do you know him? Do you know him? If you don't know him, today would be a great day to receive the love of God the Father. If you haven't received his grace, today would be a great day to become a Christian and say, God, I choose to believe this. Would you change me? I've sinned against heaven and against you. Would you come to your senses? If you're here today and you're an older brother, would you repent? Would you come to the old rock bottom of yourself? You find the loving arms of a father waiting. So let's pray together. God, thank you that your love surpasses the meager words that I can come up to describe it. Thank you that your grace is limitless, that it's not fair, that it can't be earned. It's bought and paid for by Jesus and it's free, but it's not cheap. God, I pray that you would transform us by your spirit using the knowledge that we have of an incomprehensible love. Would you change our relationships? Would you change how we see people, how we see the world, that we would begin to understand that across every forehead in the spirit realm are the words for whom Christ died, including those closest to us. God, you're the best. Today, would you help us to feel your embrace? To help us feel you kissing all over our face. Calling for the best robe and a celebration. May we dance in that love today. And believe it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.